The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Let's uh, let's just dive into this thing um, real quickly here. Um, Splash! Yeah. So 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 David, it's uh, let's see now. It's just past seven o'clock Eastern time. Just past six o'clock your time in Wichita on uh, on Thursday evening, the afternoon, and you're about to get some really interesting weather. What's going on out there? Interesting is one way to put it. Uh, for the last two days, the local weather people, and that includes private forecast farms, have been warning the public that weather is developing out west and south of us in exactly the same pattern as a day in April of 74, I believe it was, when 32 tornadoes ripped across western and central Kansas. Yeah. One day, 32. Uh, so they've been canceling events here in town today. Mm-hmm. Like like they like you hear in the wintertime when you know the snow is gonna you know bury your driveway, uh, and it is the kind of blue green black out to the west of us that you know says if you're out in this, tuck your head between your legs and <laughs> pucker up. So you were you were you what's the what's the sky look outside your window? Uh, well, like I say, in a it kind of a a gray blue green it 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 kind of uh, is a, a gradient from the dark gray overhead to uh, a little more blue to a funny looking kind of iridescent green uh-huh. down on the horizon. It's the iridescent uh, green that I've always enjoyed. About <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty exciting. So I don't know. I, are they delaying well, flights yet in or out? Or? Well, I haven't heard anything take off over or land over the neighborhood in about an hour. And it's been building up uh, the gust. The gust factor out here for the last three or four hours has been really dramatic. Mm. Uh, and uh, at least in my neighborhood, seems to have about a ninety-degree variability to it. Uh, so, uh, not this would be a day as is I put in print for somebody I won't mention. As I put in print today, uh, you know, there's times when you look at this stuff just on the basis of winds alone and, and question, do I need to make this trip today? Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> because this is a tip-threatening, tail-hook scraping, nose-gear-bending kind of gusty day. Well, so, uh, so you- I'm looking at this on, on Weather Underground's next rat, and I've zoomed in on Wichita, and the... the uh, yeah, I mean, I've got it in a loop, and it's obviously it's coming in from the west, but it's also kind of moving on a line. It's moving from south to to north as this line moves in from the east and west. And what's what I'm seeing right now is right at the next red antenna. Is where uh, yeah, there's front there's is. one there's one uh, I believe the one it's, that it's uh, you're looking at comes of off city. mid-continent. Yeah, it's just west of the city. Uh, based on what you told me about where your residence is, Oop again. Um, it's you're about five miles from the next red antenna. Yeah, that's about right. Uh-huh. 
and it's about right. the, the, the front the, the leading edge of the of the yellow and red and it, and it's it goes from green to yellow to red in maybe a mile now, i don't know <laughs> if these are statute or or, or uh, nauticals or whatever um but there's there's definitely a, a wall of stuff there that's headed headed your way. Yeah. This is about to update on me here in about five seconds. So too. so Dave, you you could get called away at any moment now. The horns could go off, and you would have. Do you like have a do you have like a storm cellar? Oh, do you have a whole Wizard of Oz thing where you dive underground and that kind of thing? Uh, well, where's Holland Hunt? You need her. I, I've practiced that maneuver that I was just talking about, a physical maneuver I've just talked about uh, a couple of times here. <laughs> but we ha- we have I want an picture of that. We have a, a and it'll cost you. We have an interior uh, master bathroom uh-huh. that uh, is, is surrounded by other rooms. Yep. The way our house is is uh, yep. designed, it has no windows. Uh, nice cast iron tub. It has a, a a very solid door, and that door is down a hallway and and on a little L shape behind a stone wall. Uh, across from the stone wall, however, is about 22 feet of picture windows mm-hmm. huh. facing west. Yeah, well. well but we'll there's think- a nice big uh, five-foot overhang over that. So, so far, we had, we had uh, well, I was going to, I have to put it baseball-sized hail here just uh, 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 this past weekend. Whoa. Um, wow. It was baseball-sized down to pea-sized. And really scattered. I mean, it came down and kind of hit and miss for about 10 minutes. And we sat in the living room kind of fascinated and watched the big ones bounce really high when they hit the ground. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't hail hard enough or long enough to get the ground white like we've seen it do here on a couple of other occasions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could literally cross-country ski across the hail that was on the ground. Since, since we've been talking, the next red shows... Um, a, a bow, if you will, just east of the antenna. What are you looking? What uh, site are you looking at? I'm looking at weatherunderground.com. It's W-U-N-D-E-R-G-R-O-U-N-D.com. Okay, so yeah. say that again. So it's like Wonderground. It's W. It's like Wonder, but with a U instead of an O. Wonderground. Oh, that's, I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Weather wonder. No, no, it's just. No, no, it's no, just. No, no. Let me do it. Let me do it. It's it's W underground. Okay. Oh oh. W underground. All one word. And then click on Nextrad, and find your site. I was I was looking on it. Looking on the AOPA site. About an hour ago. Oh, yeah. This this the the weather underground. You can zoom in and get in the neighborhoods. Yeah. Well, before Dave has to get uh, uh, the sirens, if you hear sirens, uh, I'll probably already be gone. Okay. <laughs> well, why don't you keep us informed of how things are going out there, and uh, why don't we dive into our uh, our little list here oh, and yeah, cool. see, see what we can do here. Did you find that page? Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, Listeners uh, are going to have to forgive us for talking about weather. We've been good about weather for a long time now. What is the zip code out there? Uh, 6720. And what's the fifth digit? Well, pick one. Uh, three, two, oh, five, seven. Okay. That's uh, that's that, that's that's ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> zoom, zoom into that sucker, though. Uh, Draw a straw box on this on the uh, 
thing and then put it in a loop, and that's that gets that puts the hair on your chest, man. <clears throat> oh yeah, and I just shaved my chest today. <laughs> uh, not gonna go there. Oh yeah, man, that's exciting right there. We're gonna do a little screenshot of that one for the for the kids at home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see if we can get on with this stuff here. David, uh, your buddy Chuck had some news. Yeah. So tickled to to, to pick this up uh, this past week. But my uh, up range here. Uh, picked up my uh, uh, word that my good buddy Chuck Slusarchik, and I can't spell that with a typewriter fast, Chuck Slusarchik mm. at CGS Aviation uh, has won uh, 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 consensus appro- or, you know, approval for the consensus standard from the FAA for his uh, Hawk, now an LSA version, uh, two-place tricycle gear uh, configuration, uh, and uh, Nice little tandem airplane. Great history. There's about 1,700 of them flying. Uh, first showed up on the scene as a single-place Part 103 compliant ultralight uh, back in 1982 at Sun and Fun, where it won best, uh, best design. Uh, wonderful flying manners. I mean, it's just a nice, straightforward, honest little airplane. Not real fast. It's not designed to carry a lot of stuff. Uh, but it will give you a lot of fun for the buck. And Chuck is offering a, an introductory price, he says, for the first 10 at least, of $39.9. Mm-hmm. And that's not loaded up with radios or anything like that. That's the basic uh, airplane with what's required by the ASTM consensus standards. But that still gets you into a flying machine that will carry two people, 25 pounds of luggage, and enough fuel to go a couple hundred miles at a stretch at about 90 miles an hour. Cool. So, how does this stack up to kind of the current crop of LSAs, or is there no such? I mean, are they so all over the place with what people are making all over the world today that it's such a level playing field? Uh, well, this this airplane, in my to my mind, kind of answers the question, and another one we'll talk about uh, answers the call for the really inexpensive. A recreational airplane that a lot of people uh, were disappointed to see the LSA market not delivering in droves. Mm. You know, there's been a lot of complaint, a lot of uh, comment would be a better way to put it about the uh, uh, fact that so many of the uh, LSAs, they're really nice, perform great, go fast, carry loads, but they're running upwards of 120 and 130,000 thousand dollars mm-hmm. and uh that's in the mind of a lot of people uh, uh not what they were looking for they were looking for something uh we've always kind of said man if you can bring it in under 60 deliver it and make a profit mm-hmm. and satisfy the requirements there's a real market there for that well chuck's hawk and another one called the x air ls uh 46.5 since all LSAs are two-place, uh, or at least most of them that I know of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. given that this is a two-place, but unlike Chuck's, it's a side-by-side two-seater. It uh, uses uh, uh, Jabiru 85-horse, four-cylinder, four-stroke from Australia. Uh, excellent little engine. Uh, Chuck's airplane uses a Rotax 582 
two-cylinder two-stroke, been around for years. Uh, makes good power. It's got a good track record now after you know thousands of them being in use for tens of thousands of hours. And here's two airplanes that uh, a, a person can pick up or a couple of people or three people if they want to share it. Brand new, ready to fly, under 50 grand. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was uh, last week we were talking about some of this. Um, and, and maybe it wasn't. Uh, maybe I was having this conversation with somebody else. But for 110, 120,000, I've already got an airplane that costs 110, 120,000. Yeah. yeah. And it'll do a lot more. Um, you know, I have the certificates mm-hmm. to fly it. I, yeah. I'm not using a, a sport pilot certificate or I'm not using the sport pilot privileges of my existing certificates. Um, but. You know, a lot of people would like to see me go buy a, a brand new LSA at 120 grand, and you know, it's not going to happen. No, but I'm, I'm I'm not likely to either. Yeah, um, and and why would but, I mean? But uh, something something like what Chuck's come out with, or or something else that is, let's say, downscale. Maybe it's not an LSA traveling machine, but it is an LSA um, $100 hamburger machine, or a or an LSA, uh, um, just go go bore holes in the sky kind of machine. That's a horse of a different color, and I think I think Chuck's onto something. That's a much I, I do, much I different market. Yeah. Well, when so you, a when second you get airplane the, kind of market. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've I've got great understanding and 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 tolerance for the whole idea of these hundred and twenty hundred and thirty thousand dollar glass airplanes. Uh, one of the reasons why it's hard to deny this is the the very best seller is in that court category, uh, and that's Tom Beginney's uh, uh, Flight uh, Design CT. Uh, it's been around for years in Europe. Uh, they adapted it to the U.S. market. They've evolved it. Uh, it's the single largest seller in the LSA market with about 20% market share. Uh-huh. You know, that's huge for one model. Yeah, uh, that represents you know I think nearly 300 airplanes at this point, and uh, 20% of the fixed wing market I should say here. Yeah, and uh, I can see the appeal for uh, a guy like you or me, Jeb, who's knows categorically that that next medical certificate is not going to work. The present uh, company accepted, of course. Absolutely, <laughs> right, but. Wants to keep flying, right? Knows he can keep flying because what's going to cause the denial is 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 not something that's going to really impinge on his ability to fly. Just FAA's paranoia. Uh, an LSA like that, uh, fast as mm-hmm. the uh, Cherokees and the Skyhawks out there. Uh, some of the some of the models will carry two people and and, and a good hundred pounds of luggage. And right. when you remind folks that so many of those nice four seat uh, uh, entry-level singles like the Sky Skyhawk, and the uh, uh, the Cherokee, and the the Beach Musketeer, airplanes like that, they go with only one or two seats filled the majority mm-hmm. of the time. Uh, but if you're going to lose your medical certificate or not going to renew it, that's a moot question. You don't have right. access to those airplanes anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So here you can have access to a 115, 118 knot airplane. That will carry you, somebody else, and 80 to 100 pounds of luggage. Maybe even have uh, an autopilot that will work with a, a VFR GPS that's part of the panel. Uh, can see the appeal concretely. 
I'm just not, you know, it's not going to be me, but... Yeah. And obviously, at the numbers they're selling, it's a lot of people. There's still a lot of people out there, though, that are looking for something at this other end, like uh, the uh, the Xair LS and the, the Hawk LSA. And, Let's uh, back up a minute, though. I would question – I'm, I'm certainly willing to be educated. But I guess my gut tells me that the vast majority of those brand-new LSAs that, have, that are in service right now – or on a flight training line somewhere. Uh, uh, they're, doing, they're doing they're doing duty as um, a, a training machine, which is something that they're pretty good at, or certainly very economical at. That'd be a good question uh, to put to Dan Johnson, but yeah, given given that that's I'm, that is the same. I'm that's still what hearing a lot tells. of yeah, I'm still hearing a lot of people you know looking for LSA at flight school. Uh huh. And they're not finding them. They're not finding them yet. Uh, they're showing up in some places. Uh, and you might be right. Uh, a lot of these airplanes, though, are being sold to individuals. And you and I, uh, I think, spent a little time together looking at a couple of amphibs right. that fit into the category that uh, are right up there in the speed range with the Republic CB. Uh, well, that's something I could – that has a lot of appeal as a second kind of airplane. Something it does. Get you it on does the water. To me too. It does you, to me when, too. When you realize that there's dozens and dozens of airplanes out there from 40, 50, and 60 years ago that an, a, a light sport pilot, a sport pilot can fly. Uh, you know, old Cubs, of course, air coops, uh, some of the other short wing pipers, uh, Arancas, Taylor Craft, Luscombs. Uh, and a lot of those, if they're in fine shape, they're going to cost you close to the same as Chuck's airplane. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there's going to be a little difference in the maintenance cost because uh, there's some opportunities under the uh, light sport rules for an owner to do things that uh, an owner of a Car 3 airplane, he can help on an annual, but there's stuff that he can't do. Yeah. My yeah. thing about my thing about some of these some of these you know ultralights and former ultralights that have now kind of moved up into the LSA class isn't so much the that they're less expensive. I just find them appealing in they're just cool airplanes. They, I, yeah. It feels like yeah. they, they, you, you feel like you'd be closer to the sky when you were flying an airplane like this. And oh uh, yeah, you know, and and you guys always seem to put it in the context of you know how many suitcases you can put in it. And for me, it's much more you know I just want to go flying for the day and and look at the well, ground yeah. and look at the sky. Well, what about and that a was, trike? That was really know? the idea of this category. Yeah. Uh, I, I bring this up because I'm constantly having this thrown up as, yeah, but, you know, you, you can't really go somewhere with it. And the guy's trying to reconcile this prospect that someday he's not going to qualify for a medical, but he could qualify to fly that. But he doesn't want to give up the kind of flying he's doing now. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me a lot of those guys get to that age and find that giving up the kind of flying that they were doing younger is really easy if there's an option yeah. to let them keep flying right. at all. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the 120 knot limitation on the LSA um, does mean that you can go somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, and, and a lot of these machines that that we're we're talking about, the higher end LSAs, those are for some pretty serious traveling machines. That's right. They, they are. You know, they're very sleek. Uh, they look fast. They, they have instrument fast. panels. Yeah, they, they are. What fast. they'll do on a hundred horsepower. Uh-huh. What they'll do on a hundred horsepower, uh, no Cessna one hundred and fifty in its dreams could ever no, do. No, there's no way. But my punchline is, 
Um, they've got the panels. They've got the equipment. Um, yeah. And, and they will go places just like a Skyhawk will. Yeah, um, ex- that uh, was my point exactly. Yeah, that they will get there. So they are traveling machines in the sense that um, they will transport you from point A to point B. And, you know, as long as the winds even moderately cooperate, they'll do it quicker than a car. And, and oh, let's yeah. not forget the price of gas and what impact that also has. Right. Yes. It, that uh, that hundred horse Rotax at cruise comes down into the mid four gallon an hour range. So mm-hmm. there you go. There you go. There you go. And you can burn high test car gas in it. Yeah. Let me jump in here and uh, and say welcome, Slash. folks. Welcome, folks, to episode number eighty five of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. As I said earlier, we're recording this episode on Thursday evening, June fifth. And uh, it's uh, just after 7.30 uh, here on the East Coast, 6.30 in Wichita, which is important. It's the weather in Wichita. Well, we'll come back to that in a second here. Let's, let me, let's just first say hello to, the, to my friends here in the virtual hangar. One, that voice you just heard is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? What's the weather like down there? I'm spiffy. It's hot and humid. Welcome to Florida. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was, it was, I was out flying this morning, and it and, uh, wasn't, wasn't all that bad. Um, but this, I, I just never cooled off. I'm finally at home. Uh, uh, throughout the day, I was, I was just, I was just always hot. So on the motorcycle and in the airplane and, and back and forth and everything like that. And finally, I, I'm home for the evening and, and sitting down and, and kind of cooled off. Finally, so. where'd you go flying? Um, did some a data collection. Uh, one of my coworkers is working on a project to uh, come up with some way to. Define the the basic economic basic economics, if you will, of various aircraft. So we had a my airplane and a Mooney two thirty one, and we're gonna we went out and kind of flew very 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 loose formation stuff, trying to match speeds and, and climb rates and you know, what it, what it takes to to do that, what kind of fuel burn and 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 setting up various. Uh, power settings and, and, and obviously at the same time in the same airspace with the same air uh, and and uh, trying to see what it takes to get one airplane to do one thing and then get another airplane to do the same thing. Yeah. Sounds kind interesting. Of is that going to turn into an article of some sort or is it just sort of... I'm research? sure it will. Uh, I don't know what the plans are for it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, it's kind of funny to have a, a Mooney 231 ask me to slow down. <laughs> You're lying. Speaking I of which, speaking of which also here in the hangar this evening is uh, he is was James. down low. <laughs> is right. James Winbrandt and James is talking to us. You're back home in the Big Apple, right? New York I'm, City. Yes, I am back in New York. It's great to be home. Yeah, so I got uh, here last uh, Friday. Now you've been all over the country recently. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. You've had uh, a number of adventures. One in particular, yeah. we 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 talked about a little bit last week. We want to hear it from you from the horse's mouth so to speak but we'll come back to that later on um what's the weather like there is it raining no it's not we had some rain yesterday it's uh, a little bit of a kind of a hazy overcast but pleasant temperature about 71 degrees today so uh things are very nice yeah and of course dave higdon is here hi dave dave's in uh, in uh, beautiful wichita kansas that's right beautiful riverside wichita now and when uh, i looked at the radar just a minute ago it looks like maybe the worst of the reds have passed over you, how, how you uh, it it is quickly lightening up to the west and you know compared to how mean and nasty this was what came through here was next to nothing uh-huh. uh 
rained really hard for about five minutes, got a little bit of sound and light, and it moved on. Mm-hmm. So uh, the winds have even dropped off. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what the next wave's like later tonight. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I am Jack Hodgson. Good. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts, where it's kind of raining a little bit, but uh, n- not scary, just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so, uh, so you know, I heard about this flight service station survey through this uh, email newsletter that I get um, called uh, Over the Airwaves. Are you guys familiar with this? A guy named no. Bob yeah. Miller does this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, I kind of look at it. I do, do you know Bob Miller? Do you know of him? Is, uh, no, of him. I, yeah. I don't personally. He and I may have met, but I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, so he does this pretty regular newsletter where he's got a lot of new, news about uh, generally or aviation and, uh, and so forth. And um, recently he called attention to a survey, which I think he's doing the survey, but someone's doing a survey on uh, flight service station, you know, operations and what your experiences have been. And uh, mm-hmm. kind of just wanted to call attention to that. I think it might be uh, useful to have uh, more people fill out this survey rather than less. And uh, so uh, we could give you the... So, uh, yeah. So who... So you're not... You think he may be behind it, but what happens with it? What, uh, you know... Yeah. Any... any I'm not sure. And it may just be a survey of information he's collecting for the purposes of writing in his Mm -hmm. newsletter. Um, But, uh, you know... in general, I think mm-hmm. the more the more experiences yeah. we can collect about the yeah. flight service station experience, mm-hmm. um, probably the better. Because we're just, I, I would, now I'm getting a rain shell here. I would share with you that I find it it you know clearly it went way down. I found it has been uh, better recently. You think it has? Yeah. Yes, that's my personal yeah uh, feeling. How about Which, you, Jeb? I won't disagree with that. I guess. Um, the problem I have in trying to come up with an answer is I've tried to avoid using flight service in the last mm. several months and just go straight to Duot. Uh-huh. There was a time, and I think we've discussed it on the podcast before, years ago now, uh, when Duat first came out and, and as it matured, that I used it uh, a lot and tried to file flight plans and invariably – the flight plan would be accepted, but air traffic control would not have it. Right. So I kind of defaulted to going back to to uh, flight service, not so much for my briefings. I would still try to get them online, but I would end up filing and certainly talking with a briefer. Um, after Lockmark took over, obviously the service got very uneven. The last, I don't know, maybe two out of five times, that I uh, tried to file with a flight service briefer, and in fact, you know, this, you know, the, the the flight plans in the system, sir. Have a great day. ATC did not have the flight plan, so we experienced I, uh, that very yeah. thing trying to get out of Lakeland at the end of summer. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. So I I have taken into uh, taken to uh, filing via Duot. Uh, that seems now to be the more reliable method. I will still self-brief most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, what puzzles me. Oh. Is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, the, how this <laughs> passes for equal or better. It uh, doesn't. Which is all, you know, what we've always heard. No. It, no. It's always been, you know, take it to the bank promise. And over the over the time, you know, everybody kind of settles. The work shifts to do-ots. Uh which the FAA is often on 
wanted to get rid of. And now, you know, I can only imagine what the uproar would be here. But uh, I'm, I'm really anxious for the next time the conversation comes up about how superior a privatized air traffic control system would be uh, to the current one. Because uh, I, I want to say, you know, you know you're right. I, I, I can't wait for the airline industry to have to put up with the crossover uh, uh, changeover experience that general aviation had to with flight service. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, right. It shouldn't make them quiver at their fuel stops. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like air traffic control. What some of my friends tell me, ATC is a product of design. That is a design to just so marginalize the people that work there and to maximize the influence inside of uh, airline industry veterans uh, so that when the next privatization conversation comes up, you know, things will be so chaotic that a few people will come around to the idea, well, anything's got to be better than this. Right. And the solution to making it better is is not privatizing it. It's better management of the FAA. Mm-hmm. And we've seen years when it was managed much better than it's been managed the last few. What what body does sort of day-to-day or week-to-week uh, oversight of Lockmart uh, in this project? In other words, not to encourage people to go on a rant, but if you wanted to provide feedback to some organization about some flight service experience you've had, who would you call? You start. Uh, you start with Lockmart. Uh-huh. Um, they have some sort of customer service. I'm sure they have they, some kind of a, a customer service or feedback. Quality form. control stuff. Uh, yeah, Dave. You, did you say that you know they do? Yeah, uh, there was a toll-free number that AOPA published uh, for complaints that were supposed to be routed right to flight, uh, right to Lock, Lockheed Martin, right, and and copied to AOPA. Yeah. Well, we'll see so, if we can dig up that number and put, put that in what, the show I, notes as well. Go ahead, Jeb. Finish the full the answer. Full answer to the question, though, is start with Lockmart, um, then you go to the FAA, and then you go to Congress. Yeah. And mm. I can pretty much guarantee to you that you will have to do all three uh, before anybody with with a brain or anybody who cares uh, understands any of this. But you have to do all that because when you when you get to the FAA, they're going to say, "Well, have you talked to Lockmart?" When you get to Congress, they're going to say, "Well, have you talked to FAA or or Lockmart?" Right. So you you kind of go got, you got to go through that those steps. I'm not saying that Congress will will care either, but uh, uh, they'll have more of a uh, more of an interest uh, than will Lockmart or the FAA. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There's a definite need to be a squeaky wheel here. But uh, you want to make sure all the parts of the axle have been squeaked first. Right. Right. Um, okay. And I'm sure I sure would include or copy the folks at AOPA on yeah. all those yeah. communications because uh, if if they have the ability to collect what are a lot of individual communications from folks like us, uh, when they show up and say, you know, we know. The FAA has heard from this many people. We know Lockheed Martin's heard from this many people. We know that Congress has heard from this many people because they copied us right. mm-hmm. on all those communications. Right. So, you know, none of this, wow, well, we really hadn't heard that much about it. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone out there would like to participate in uh, Bob Miller's uh, little survey, uh, we'll put this link in the show notes, but let me just try and say it here. It's www.rjma.com slash flight slash FSS underscore survey 
www.ethicsmoke.htm. And like I said, go to the show notes. We'll put that in there so you can click on it. We'll also try and dig up this uh, customer service uh, Lockheed Martin uh, 800 number. And so you can, you know, get these uh, experiences into the system. Moving on. Let's see now. So uh, one of you, I think it was Dave, put in the notes here a story about how... uh, what is it? Lycoming is working on being able to use auto gas uh, in some of yeah. the. Uh, so you say the O three sixty and the I O three sixty. What airplanes would typically have those engines in it? Give us an idea oh, of what we're talking about. Oh my goodness! Where do you? A Mooney two hundred one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, almost any Mooney. Yeah. Uh, the O three sixty. Any Mooney. The O three sixty is basically a one hundred sixty horsepower engine. The uh, the IO three sixty goes up to a two hundred horsepower engine. So you're looking at um, Piper Arrows, um, looking uh, at Cherokees, Warriors, one eighty Comanches, uh, okay. one eighty Cherokees, Cardinals, uh, old, older Skyhawks. Um, okay. Post, uh, I'd say I forget when the when the they switched from Continental to Lycoming. I want to say 76, 77, somewhere in there. Okay. Well, are you using uh, likes now? Yeah. Say again? Are well, they're using, using likes, likes now, now. But are they, are they 360s or 540s? I'm not sure. What I guess about the 360s, 360s guess the on the Skyhawk. They're 360s on the Skyhawk. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so what let's about talk about... PSIO 360? No, no, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, so let's just talk about this for a second now. So, um, first of all, this this is a conversion. Is there some sort of hardware refit, or how does that work? Actually, that's the beauty of it, because the folks at Lockheed say that it's a paperwork change on their part. Well, then it'll never happen, right? To qualify these engines. (laughs) That's a Lockheed joke. Um, Yeah. The, so, the Lycoming folks say it's a paper it's a paperwork approval part on their on their part with FAA to qualify these base engines for that. And then you could just be, pump auto gas into them. Uh, it's going to have to be high octane auto gas. Okay, it have to be premium. The other the other thing that that they're careful to say here is that this is for the engine only. This has nothing right. to do with the aircraft systems like fuel tanks, fuel pumps, fuel cells, etc. Okay. And and so what does that mean? You might have to refit those. <clears throat> well, it's possible. I mean, some of example, them may not on, qualify. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On the Bonanza, you have uh, uh, instead of physical tanks, you have bladders. Right. Um, the premium automotive gas may or may not be compatible with the bladders in some aircraft. I see. May or may not but be compatible sure with the no- being used mm-hmm. to seal those tanks in a in a wet wing. Okay. Uh, like a Mooney. Uh, okay. Sure. Chair, yeah. Uh, it, all right, so let's so assume it's, it's, that they've done all this stuff. You've you've done whatever it takes. Right. Is it a good idea? What is this better to be able to put car gas, auto gas? You know, the, here's the other question: uh, How many airports sell Mo gas? Yeah. Now I know that they're a lot more than used to be, uh, but I don't think uh, the airport at which I'm currently based sells Mo gas. And I think I'm there sure are less the, than the airport the I used. used to be based at does not sell Mo gas. So well, here's here's the deal, though. You have to transport uh, it yourself. You're going to find airports that are going to embrace this as they become as as enough airplanes are able to switch over to the ability to use it. Uh, second, we we're looking at what about two years before the current exemption on hundred low lead expires and has to be renewed. Piece and should be a piece of cake, but for how much longer? How many more years? Right. I mean, I guess so. That's if if the if the option becomes available for a large number of the fleet, maybe even all the fleet, to switch over, uh, at least all the, you know, this could be a first step. We could see O three twenties next behind this. 
uh, and conceivably some larger engines behind this. But the, your debonair and my old Comanche, like you said, use fuel cells. And I know fuel cells in 87-octane MoGas had a compatibility problem. Yeah, because there were some airplanes that had engines that would qualify for the for the auto fuel STC, but the airframe systems wouldn't. Uh But this opens up a potential market for fuel cells that could be compatible. Does it not? Sure, absolutely, it does. And and fuel tank sealants and Mm O-rings and all of the above. Um, It's not as I guess my my real and only point though is it's not as simple as just getting the engine certified. No, no, it's not. Well, just like when uh, EAA worked so hard to get the first auto gas STC right. in their test 150 back in 82, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was an engine STC involved and an airframe STC involved. And the engine STC could be employed only in the approved airframes. So then the mm-hmm. next step was expanding the number of airframes that complied or that you know fell under the STC which was done pretty quickly uh, and in large numbers our Cherokee 140 uh, we had the STC on that airplane we had the option of using uh, air fuel or, or car gas and the biggest difference in using them in terms of practical operation was that I left with a heavier wallet every time I used my gas <laughs> mm. yeah. so no performance difference nothing that I ever detected yeah. And no louder or anything or engine wear, any issues like that? Nope, nope. And uh, if I burned, uh, uh, I burned predominantly uh, car gas uh, through most of the time that we had that airplane because uh, my home field at the time happened to carry it. And a couple of local places that we were regular visitors to carried MoGas. And when we get the airplane annualed, uh, you know, cleaning the plugs was a non-event. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was no lead in the fuel. So, mm-hmm. I mean, is it, is it? I, I guess as long ago as what, fifteen years ago, when I learned how to fly, we were always worried about whether hundred low lead was going to go away altogether. Um, well, I, I'm I'm concerned. Yeah, I I am too. I mean, um, there will come a day when uh, there's there's just not enough of it to go around, or or the people who uh, supply the le- the tetraethyl lead um, that makes it a low leaded fuel yeah i'm just amazed uh, that they actually even pump it they, that they refine it now i mean it's got to be such an incredibly mm-hmm. tiny percentage of it is. of all the gasoline it, that they it, refine mm-hmm. in this world it, it doesn't make up a single percentage point yeah no, it's, it it's astounding it, to me that these big oil companies are even willing to be in this business and uh, i'll, I'll uh, see if i can surf here the doe and uh, and uh, find the because well, i looked at a chart recently um on the department of energy's website that that Basically said, you know what the uh, what the stats were on hundred lily. Let me see if I can go find mm. it. Let me see if my memory, while you're looking that up, I'm going to fish back and see. Point three percent is the number that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I could be way off. It's the, less the than news- one. I th- it's it's more than point one. So I, excuse me, I'm not it, sure. Uh, this, this is this is a good. This is going to work out long term. I think to be a good deal because just like with the auto fuel. STC on low compression engines, uh, an auto fuel STC on uh, regular standard compression engines uh, is going to go a long way, and uh, well, I, to, and and, and it complements other efforts to find an alternative fuel 
to 100 low lead. There's been research going on for a number of years to try to do that. Uh, I read something uh, recently about a, a research project where they developed a synthetic fuel that could be produced at about the same cost as avgas, uh, but didn't need lead in it, was compatible with engines that could use 100 low lead, uh, had a smaller carbon footprint, and so far they hadn't been able to find any compatibility issues with fuel systems. It was working out. It sounded miraculous to me. Uh, but the line was that given the small volume of uh, avgas sold, that they thought they could be up to producing a volume to support the whole community in about five years. Yeah. Jib, any luck with those stats? I'm still uh, working through it here. Okay. Why don't, we, why don't we move on? You can jump back yeah, in if you find that stat. Um, but, you know, I just can't stand it anymore. i got to talk to James about this. So, James, I saw – we talked about this a little bit last week on the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, I saw a picture of you, James, recently uh, with your head sticking out of the, the window of the left seat of a DC-3. And, uh, that was incredible. I'm just dying with jealousy. Tell us about that. What was that all about? Oh, I got a chance to go up to uh, – take part in the training course that Dan Greider does with his DC-3, and you know the, the, the Herpa DC-3, of course. We've mm-hmm. all seen that at air shows. Yep. Well, I, I thought it was Herpa's DC-3, but it's not. Dan, Dan, in fact, is the owner, operator, and it's just that Herpa had brought him in when they were thinking about getting a DC-3 because he's kind of the foremost expert, and they wound up realizing it would be much easier just to put some appliques on his than try to buy and and staff one of their own. So Dan is, when he's not flying his DC-3, he is a Delta 777 uh, right-seater on long-haul stuff, so that leaves him time to do about two courses per month mm-hmm. and people come from all over the United States and indeed the world this this when I was there there were uh, two folks from Germany and two from the United States in addition to myself and one of them was Steve Tupper uh, a podcaster fellow podcaster yep and from airspeed and right yes from airspeed uh, a great show and a blogger and so uh, it was kind of a a wonderful get-together on that, too. But clearly, the star of the show is the DC-3. And Dan provides uh, training to get a uh, a rating as a second-in-command. So for that, no <laughs> FAA checkout is required. If you want the FAA checkout, you can go and do that. That will take some more time. But and essentially, in the weekend, you completely train you know all the systems. You get a lot of left seat time in the DC-3. You're doing emergency procedures, doing a lot of landings, uh, maneuvering, uh, low passes. And at the end of that, you walk away. You are a second in command of a DC-3. And it is just a, a glorious machine. I mean, it is, so what's as it, we you, know. So you got to fly it, right? Yes, I what, got to fly it. I what's, got it to land what's it like it. to fly? Well, Dan, say, talking to Dan and about sort of commonalities of people, what they do when they get in the left seat of these, whether they are newly minted private pilots or 30,000-hour uh, pilots, he says they all think they've got to do something with it. And they think it's a big airplane. I've got to start, you know, wrestling with this thing. And, and the idea is that 
it flies itself and you're you're better off with hands off just about uh-huh. than trying to kind of muscle it or or finesse it uh there is almost no aileron authority whatsoever so it's all <laughs> rudder <laughs> it's all ruddy you push the rudder in and you kind of wait and then you sort of help it along but when you land it's pretty much you configure it you kind of set the power and it is it 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 is a one pilot aircraft certified one pilot but the training is all with a crew of two so from the left seat in the pattern you're calling out power stuff you're calling for flaps so it's uh, a very much a, a cockpit resource management exercise as well and when you're set up you kind of just let it land mm-hmm. you don't try to muscle it around and it, it's, it lands, it's a two-point landing, and you are so high, though, in the air anyway. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and after it's, you drop the tail, you get higher off the ground still. Yeah. Did and you actually... Did you get to taxi it? I didn't taxi Tupper it myself. Was, Tupper told me something t- I thought was funny, an interesting image. He said, he said taxiing the DC-3 is sort of like taxiing your house from a second-story window. <laughs> yeah, very much so. That's good, very yeah. Much, and you're, yeah, and you're going between hangars and stuff. And obviously, the people that went through the entire course, the second McMahon, they do all the taxiing. They do everything. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Dan says he feels confident at the end of that weekend, since obviously they're pilots to begin with, he could release a, two, a crew of two and they could go out, ta- do the pre-flight, taxi it, take off, go wherever they're going and, and land. So very cool. it's, it's, it's very impressive and it is quite intensive. A lot, of, uh, a lot of classroom stuff, a lot of going over systems and a lot of air work, too. Yeah. yeah. And it lasts how many days? Uh, well, if you're there for the uh, for the second in command, I, I believe it is. I guess I think it's, it's three, uh, three days. Three right? days. Yeah. And if you're there for the uh, the complete sign off and the FAA checkout, it's at least one more day. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course, Dan also is a, a bluegrass musician and, and just a musician in general. And you know, I wanted to ask to- you about this. Apparently, you guys had quite a jam session one night there, and. Uh, it's a, well, it's, a, what, it's a total immersion experience, right? So I don't know yeah. if you did this, but you go, and it's not like you stay in a motel down the street. He has, like, dormitories, or he has, like, a bunkhouse kind of thing. And well, if, you're, Steve, if you're attending the class, you stay in one of their rooms, and you kind of, you know, socialize in the evening with the other pilots who are in training. And uh, and in this particular case, you guys have put together a little impromptu band, right? Yeah, well, uh, in fact, you some people, Steve was staying in the hangar complex there, and... I was at a motel, and, and the uh, the German fellows were also, and I think Tom was in, in, a, in a motel as oh, well. Okay. But yeah, it's it's very much a, a camaraderie thing. Everybody is very much a group. You go out to dinner together, and uh, Dan, being a musician, uh, you know, end of day, so we pile uh, and you know instruments. And I was coming back, so I had guitar with me. So we pile instruments into either pickup truck or car, whatever we got, go into some restaurant or bar restaurant, and Dan announces, we're here with the band, and people sort of, like, look, like, what's going on? And when we're ready, they, like, turn down the jukebox, and we start playing, and, and Julie Boatman, 
who was also a fine, a fine singer and plays some guitar, was in for some DC3 work. And so, yeah, so you just read Dan, that's his M.O., and sort of goes and takes over. And we played for like, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, uh, you know, at dinner. It's amazing. <laughs> that's great. So did you actually do enough to get your second in command? or did No, you, I, I did not. You were there writing an article of some sort, is that yes. right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so I was. A- can you tell us what magazine, what publication that's going to appear in? Uh, yes, this is going to be in either Pilot Journal or Plane and Pilot. I, I sometimes get, a, you know, not sure which of that's the right. two the pieces go in. You just like to write uh, the stories. You don't care where they end up, right? Well, actually, it did. It you know there is can be a little different slant in them. Uh, the Plane and Pilot is a little more proscriptive. You know, if you're doing, uh, if we're going to do something. Uh, on the found uh, expedition, for example, uh, a pilot journal piece would mu- be much more about the glory of bush flying, where uh, a plane and pilot piece might look more at sort of, you know, the practical how-to or, you know, the 10 tips for the bush flying as demonstrated in the Explorer. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, we're all jealous. That sounds great. And uh, uh, I mean, I'd kill just to have a picture of me hanging out the window like that. I thought that was a, oh, thought that it, was a great was, picture. That, uh, thank you. Well, uh, my thanks to Steve. Uh, what a great guy. They are all wonderful people. But uh, Steve, you know, the, his enthusiasm, you know, he's a, a fairly recent pilot. And then he goes and gets his multi right before this, just so he'd then be qualified to fly the DC-3. Yeah, so, and he finished his you know, instrument fairly recently, too. Yeah, it's Just tremendous enthusiasm, and it's so great to see that. Yeah, we mentioned this and, last week, but you should check out Steve's, uh, a couple of the recent episodes of uh, of the Airspeed podcast um, have, I believe there's two or three episodes where he talks about this experience doing the DC-3 thing. Well, you know, Dan also, I have to, uh, hats off to him, what a great host, and, you know, a, a really a funny guy, and uh, likes to have fun, but also really heartfelt. All this flying he does, he loves to teach. Mm-hmm. He he loves to teach, and and he loves the fact that what he's doing is a th- you know giving people memories they will remember for the rest of his life. He says like you know this person, I may not remember this course with them, but they're never going to forget it. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, That's it's great. just wonderful, awesome. wonderful experience. Awesome. Hey, Jeb, you've been shooting me some URLs here. Are these yeah. from the uh, price? I, I didn't open them because I don't want to screw up with screw with Skype on my machine here. But tell me what uh, we're looking at here. Well, what I was shooting you, um, and I've kind of moved on from that browser window. Let me go back to it here. What I was shooting you was uh, some, some pages of statistics from uh, the uh, Energy Information Agency at the Department of Energy. And anyone can can go to uh, www.eia.doe.gov, click on Petroleum, and uh, there's a wealth of data here. Uh, the specific question we're asking, which is, what is the percentage of 100 low lead compared to uh, mo- automotive gasoline? isn't that easy to come up with um i gotta pull out a calculator or spreadsheet and crunch a couple of numbers but uh, um all the data all the basic data here is on this website uh give you an example um this is total stocks of um um, uh, motor gasoline well that's not the right chart hang on a second 
Um, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, total stocks on March, uh, in March 08, of uh, uh, major gasoline blending components in barrels, uh, 111,161 um, barrels. Of aviation gasoline blending components, seven. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for what time period? That's for March of 08. Yeah. <laughs> Finished motor gas, yeah, it's it's just way out of whack. Yeah, way yeah, way reason. way out of whack. Well, certainly, I would much rather have my lot in terms of an assured fuel supply thrown in with automotive fuels rather than right. aviation fuels. You know, even if they're both sort of of finite kind of duration. Yeah. I've always well, kind of felt that any 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 oil company that's per, that's selling. Avgas at my local airport deserves some of my business from my car too, just because. Uh, thank you for you know. Yeah, yeah, I was always that way, uh, and you know, there's really something to be said for what Lycoming's trying to do here because if it was possible to convert the majority of the aircraft out there, even if it meant doing things like replacing fuel fuel cells. O-rings and, and, and some gaskets and, and tubing to where we could run on the same fuel supply that cars run on. Uh, that would ju- just be end of story. It would be end of worry. Uh, it would change the price dynamic. It would have to. Well, what uh, about uh, now, I suppose I have heard some rumor or read some rumors that maybe we might see Lycoming and or Continental unveil a diesel product. Uh, Continental's been working on a diesel. Oh my God! I don't even want to fish back to how far that is. I know of. Well, I mean, okay, maybe they feel now it's. Who knows how seriously? I mean, I don't know, but clearly it can be done. Sure. Uh, They were running. They were running chest engines uh, when uh, a former chief executive there, Brian Lewis. Gave mm-hmm. me a briefing on it uh, down at down, down in Mobile, I guess a good decade ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they had technological problems with the way they approached the engine. I'm not saying, you know, making any judgment calls here, but what they were doing wasn't working out to their satisfaction. Conversely, we've got these. Mercedes-Benz engine spinoffs at, at Thielert, which is, you know, mm-hmm. imploded up, financially. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the whole and thing. The, yeah. uh, and the, uh, in the waiting in the wings engine that Diamond is developing based on the same basic uh, uh, case format. Uh, and uh, it's it's been done. There was even a diesel engine running on an LSA at Summit Fund this year. Yeah. yeah. So there is where I mean, because now you know when they started talking about diesel engines for cars, diesel fuel was cheaper than than auto yeah, gas. See, that's how it's right. more expensive. Well, so, it's not so much the matter of price, though, James, as it is simple they use less of it. In, in many areas of the world, and we were talking about Hunter Lowland. In many areas of the world, Hunter Lowland is not available at any it. price. Yeah. 
But yeah. diesel and, fuel and, and Jet A, Jet A is yep. available in, in yeah, vast sure. quantities, as is diesel fuel. So that's kind of the, the logic mm. behind that. And, and in Europe, uh, which is, of course, where the, the, the diesel engines for GA kind of originated, uh, and Diamond, uh, where they have the vast majority of their operations and sales, uh, diesel is kind of the, the the savior, one of the saviors, if you will, of GA. Um, it's it's uh, available. It's it's probably cheaper than than automotive gasoline over well, there. It's Maybe not widely here used rest, in their automobile fleets. Yeah, but it but it is available, and uh, yeah, um, uh, it is. Not so it seems to me, and I think we should move on to a new subject here, but I just want to say that it seems to me that the real value of diesel engines is the fact that they can be retrofitted to run non-petroleum-based fuels. Um, and I don't know how hard that is with an aviation engine, but maybe we should just jump the, you know, kind of just leapfrog this whole mess and don't think in terms of diesel fuels that use diesel en- diesel diesel engines that use diesel fuel, but go straight to diesel-style st- t- engines that use biofuels. And- mm. Well, that, that uh, research project, I mentioned earlier, they were working on a synthetic fuel that was, uh, 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 I don't want to say vegetable-based, but was uh, made from organic material. Right. And, uh, you know, that had all these uh, compatibility, uh, uh, good compatibility with avgas that uh, was going to be producible from low-cost bio products right, right. Yeah. and 100% compatible and, and and cheap to do in in low quantities and that would do it my only issue is there as long as we stay wedded to a specialty fuel we're going to be subject to uh more potential problems right. than if things could shift over to a mass available fuel like car gas and the Lycoming engines. Yeah, or but it's diesel. just a matter of time before biofuels are not are widely available. That's what I yeah, think, right. anyways. That's true. Anyways, let's move on here. Um, here's another subject I don't think we should spend an awful lot of time on, but it probably should not go unnoted that the uh, airline industry is continuing its, its propaganda uh, campaign um, against oh, uh, against GA. There's that. actually been some positive news on this front. But then there's sort of other things on the whole subject. Uh, who wants to mm-hmm. summarize this? And somebody's messing with their microphone; they should stop. It's it's not me. Okay. Um, but, who who uh, wants to summarize this, Jeb? Let me let me find this real quick. Um, airline propaganda. Yeah, we go. All righty then. Well, on so many fronts too. Yeah, yeah. There, there's oh. two or three fronts going on this week. Here's an article yeah. in today's USA Today. Headline is new small jets. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. What hack did they get to? You got to consider the source. You got to consider the source. The writer's name is Alan Levin. Yeah, I think the first couple uh, paragraphs are pretty cool. Read read them to us. What what does it say? a new generation of small jet. This is, you know, everybody, you know, sit down and, and hide the children, making sure that everybody's in bed and, and their ears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a new generation of small jets is threatening to clog congested <laughs> airline routes. Oh my God! Oh my! And is raising safety concerns, according to air traffic controllers and airline pilots. So-called very light jets began commercial service in the southeast last year. Companies using them say they will revolutionize air travel by making it more practical and affordable. However, 
However, the <laughs> Jets have created problems for controllers. Perish the thought. That, that, that's editorial. The new planes are so much slower than air, larger airline jets that controllers must keep them out of the normal highways in the skies. When we don't want to be in heavy. those highways. That's right. Said Stephen Wallace. It's all the going direct. Back Miami Center. Uh, I don't know where to begin, but we could probably parse every every phrase in in that in those three paragraphs. Um, first of all, there's thirty. Dayjet has what thirty eclipses. Uh, I happen to see one in the wild today, 24. actually, but um, and They're and not, not all to... of them are operating every day. So we're hardly you know darkening the skies here with with and the not going into Miami International. Yeah. That's exactly. the, whole, the whole point is they're not going into Miami <laughs> Thank International, Thank right? You. Um, the other thing here, though, is um, they're not in the flight level. Well, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. They're not in uh, uh, altitudes like, you know, 410, 510. Um, a, they're not cleared. They're not, I, don't, I don't think they're certificated that high four, yet. 410 four, four for the eclipse. 410 shoddy uh, writing. But the, the, the other point is when you're going – Guys from Lauderdale to Lakeland, you ain't climbing to four one zero because you'll be in Atlanta before you get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's so much wrong with this. It's yeah. hard. It, it, it's hard to. It's like pin a tail on the donkey where the whole picture <laughs> is a donkey's ass. Yeah. you can't miss. You know, mm-hmm. uh, starting with what Jeb said. Uh, even if they're going from, even if they're going from Lakeland to Atlanta. Say to Peach Tree, uh, they're north of, of downtown. They're not going to four one zero on the airlines yeah. either. Right. They may hit three three zero, but I and guarantee you go they're going to be starting back down damn quick after that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, other, the other thing going on here too is if you if you have you know a radio and you listen to the the center frequencies where you know I spent a lot of time in Jacksonville Center's airspace, for example. I'm and sorry. Yeah, I am too. You know, it happened. Um, You know, sacrifices must be made. Research must be performed. Uh, But they're always funneling all these flights, obviously, into into Atlanta. And they're all being cleared to hit, you know, such and such a fix and such and such a speed and such and such uh, an altitude. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, but but we We just lost somebody. We lost lost Jeb's standby. Let's see if we can. We lost lost, uh, Dave. Dave. Yeah, hang on, hang on. Redirected to voicemail. Let's try it again. He might have. The tornado must have arrived. There he is. Tango uniform. Yeah, let's see if it goes through, though. All right, hang on. Uh, where's his cell phone here someplace? I'm calling him on his cell phone. What happened? Power went out. The power went out. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it, and uh, you know, there's it, there's nothing happening here. Uh, something somewhere because it since since it went down about two minutes ago, and your call, it's come back up twice for about fifteen seconds, and then I've heard something pop, explode elsewhere in the neighborhood and it's going back down do you again. want to that's, uh, that's a transformer it's going to be a couple hours do you want to yeah. uh is your cell phone I, I don't want to steal your cell phone charge if you need it for safety reasons later on in the evening no, no I'm, I'm in good shape here okay where uh, were we i don't know we were on battery power yeah we were on this uh shoddy and shocking 
shockingly unsubstantiated report. The only thing I disagree with on what is something James said, I think the writing was really good for alarmist, uh, <laughs> trashy crap, uh, but the reporting was really shoddy. I mean, well, they, don't mention, they don't mention another view until the second to the last freaking paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the balance? There, there's another thing. When it, if they're going to talk about Dayjet, before Dayjet ever started flying, they spent a lot of time with controllers and the FAA to figure out the routes they would be flying and to go all, all over this in, to minimize any problems because they don't want to get in anybody's way. They know that it, that it can be done without uh, infringing right. on anybody else's airspace, and that was what was done. That's right. Here's, here's the money right. graph yeah, no, here. Yeah, go ahead. The lead is really buried in this story, and and here's the here's the money graph. It says Captain Rory K, safety chairman for the Airline Pilots Association, said flying behind an eclipse in a large jet would be a bit like following a farm vehicle. This isn't about state. <laughs> you know, what, what that what's that telling me here? What, what that's telling me here? That's this is not about safety. This is not about efficiency. No. This is not about uh, stealing passengers from the airlines. This article is about the fact that Dayjet is not a union shop. Oh. Uh, this is Alpa and Natka uh-huh. hanging up. I thought it was strange that Alpa was getting into That's it. That's what this is. That's what this is. Uh, interesting. And, and, and if you, I bet you go back and research Mr. Alan Levin, the writer of this article. Uh, he's probably done similar articles over the years that could, can be a, a labor uh, can be can be read with a labor pro labor slant. I'm not pro labor. I'm not anti labor. But uh, uh, I'm just she I'm just reading guys? between the lines here, and that's what this is all about. Yeah. Mm. You know, Did I think you used to work for airline pilot. I used to work for the um, FAA labor union uh, representing flight service station employees. That's it. That's uh, it. I don't th- yeah, I used to be. I used to be a, a lobbyist for them, yeah. but that was a long time. Well, ago. well I wonder now what this is. The US... to, Hang on, we've already been through the airlines trying well, to. Well, uh, Alpha, Alpha wants to to uh, uh, unionize the airline. I mean, the uh, the uh, airline pilots at uh, at Eclipse, and and that because you know, okay, fine, uh, we can well, do that too. Yeah, uh, but this is USA Today. Yeah. Did you say so? Now wait. So it's not just the writer. Let's say he goes and says, "Hey, I got a great. Let's do something on the little jets." And the editor says, "Yeah, but you got to make it scary." <laughs> I mean, you know, it just well, these things yeah. don't. Here's just the way happen. it works. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm an aviation writer in Washington D.C. Was for several years. I had contacts over at Alpa. Uh, and DOT and FAA and up on Capitol Hill and all this stuff. So you get a phone call, you get invited to lunch by somebody from Alpha's PR shop who wants to introduce you to somebody from one of Alpha's other groups to talk about some issue. That's the way it starts. Right. Uh, you know, boy, we're starting to have some issues in Florida. Oh, really? What kind of issues are that? Oh, those little very light jets? Boy, they're creating some real safety problems down there. Oh boy, and the controllers hate it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you got uh, the, the the airline pilots, and then the controllers, and somebody there chimes in because, well, NAFCA is uh, a union and could be sympathetic to Alpa in that regard. But it just goes on and on. Yeah. My yeah. objections to it is just a really shallow, crappy reporting. It uh, is. Uh, you know that 
there's no attempt to balance this thing. And the, oh, yeah, the guys that are on the other side of this, well, you can catch them down the last two paragraphs. We're not going to really let them say a lot because they don't really fit with what we want this story to say. That's right. I mean, I think here on this podcast, we're kind of preaching to the choir about all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I've found late, I I find myself lately talking to people out in the world and just kind of trying to explain to them. You know, I mean, we've, we've, we've promoted the idea of talking to our legislators and so forth. And that's always a good idea. But I I almost feel like these days as, as aviation fans, we need to be out um, doing our Mm -hmm. own propaganda and, and just talking to people that we, you know, if the subject ever comes up, try and set them straight about this kind of stuff oh, yeah um, you know I've, I've, been, I've been doing more and more airline traveling lately sad to say sure. um, cool. and and more than once I've found myself sitting in a waiting area um, for a flight talking to some stranger or some friend and 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 just you know saying no 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 let me let me tell you the real story here don't don't buy these this this propaganda and I think that's valuable thing that we could all be doing personally yeah. I, I, um, we have just being uh, stuck on an airliner waiting for release and the captain comes online and says, well, folks, uh, we're going to be a little late getting out of here because air traffic controls backed up at the destination. So we're taking a ground hold until they clear up uh, all the airliners circling down there at such and such. Uh, we'll be back to you as soon as possible. And I like to lean to the person sitting next to me and said, you know, this is what I get for selling my airplane. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you know, in the, in the good news department, there was a report that came out uh, this past week, I guess, or recently, um, that, that backed up some of the things we've said all along. Um, um, somebody want to summarize that? I guess, Dave, you can't read it off the net, can you? <laughs> no, but I, I, I don't even really need to refresh to be able to say, uh, you fill in who the study was from, because I don't really remember. But I don't remember. What they found was the it's Joint a bulk Congressional of, Committee. The Joint Economic Committee, I think, of yeah, Congress. Congress's Joint Economic Committee. This is an article on, uh, I'll go through this, this is an article on IOPA's website. Uh, and, and it says, says the delays are caused by their scheduling and weather uh-huh. and weather problems only 6%. on the ground. Yeah. Exactly. As I recall. The statistical analysis of airline flight delays showed that 29% were caused by things the airlines could control, such as baggage <laughs> handling and fueling. Some 40% of all delayed flights were because the preceding, arrived, the preceding flights arrived late. Late. Ex- yeah, late. Extreme weather accounted for less than 6% of delays, according to the JEC, while non-extreme weather and other air traffic control de- delays comprised 28% of delays. So basically, and, and here's, here's uh, Andy Sabula at uh, AOPA, says, but the JEC, the Joint Economic Committee, did not point a finger at GA, General Aviation, for contributing to those ATC delays. In fact, the committee even suggested that GA is a victim of airline congestion. While the JEC analysis didn't compute the cost of delays to the GA community, I'd love to see that. It did note that controllers, quote, controllers may require general aviation flights to travel circuitous routes to avoid high traffic areas, unquote. Dave, you've never had to do that before, have you? Anyways, I like to lean to the guy next to me and say, you know, this is what I get for selling my airplane. That's right. Well, what that's do you right. mean? You, you wouldn't you be stuck too? I went. Oh no 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 no! I wouldn't be stuck because I wouldn't be going to that airport. I'd be sure. going to the one across town that's actually close to where I'm going. Wow, you got that choice? Oh yeah. Well, but you guys can't go in this kind of weather, right? Like, oh yeah, we can actually. Uh, you got probably ninety percent of the time. The yeah. And and the ten percent of the time when I can't go, 
they ain't going either. (laughs) So we should all take a look at this article and maybe use it as uh, one of the things that we tell our friends about uh, when they think, oh, the little airplanes are slowing down the airlines because it's Hmm. just not the case. Yeah, Um, we're going to try to pick up a new feature here each week called the Airline Propaganda of the Week. Yeah, right. (laughs) Speaking of propaganda, this is an interesting story, and I don't know how big a story it is. So Eclipse uh, released some news this past week uh, where they announced that they're going to go ahead and build the the single-engine jet, the so-called concept jet, or probably based on that, similar to that. I have have just one thing to say about that. They probably ought to go ahead and finish building their twin. That's the and that's my point here. And this is what I want to know. Eclipse, I don't know. I don't want to be alarmist. Eclipse just seems to me like they're having real problems. They um, are. You know, and this is classic PR technique here. What they did was they put out a press release announcing an exciting, cool thing, and then sort of in the lower paragraphs, they also reveal two negative things. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, they reveal that they're having to. Let's see. You no, know, I think there were two. They revealed that they were going to have to uh, raise the price on the uh, on the existing Eclipse jet and uh, I thought there was another one here. Well, the, what struck me was the explanation was the most candid and straightforward that that I've heard in a long time. Well, we're not building as many. It's taking a lot longer than we thought, yeah. so we had to raise the price. Yeah. It's like, so, uh, you I don't can't know. make it much more simple than that. I don't but, know. What, what, is, what, what do you guys hear here. through the grapevine? What's the buzz about Eclipse? Uh, I'm I don't not think sure what, anything I, what I people say. haven't already heard. Yeah, I, I, um, the airplane mechanically is is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, airplane mechanically it does. If it flies sweet, it's uh, it's so far anyway. It's it's been relatively reliable. It's easy to fly, fun to fly, according to those uh, um, uh, I've communicated with who uh, who who have flown it. Um, the uh, the panel is a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Nothing's integrated as it should be. They're 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 basically um, uh, they're basically giving away Garmin 496s with each delivery. Uh, yeah, av- the, the Avio thing doesn't. The, uh, well, the Avio. I, thing I know makes- one. I know one guy flying an Eclipse, and I think this is true for all of those presently in service. I think there's 200 of them presently in service now. Um, none of them uh, have can file slant golf. Because the GPS system and the, the software behind the panel, none of that equipment is certified yet. If um, you have an equipment out, and none of these aircraft have ADFs in them either. So if you're flying to a destination and the approach requires an ADF to shoot the approach, the Eclipse is not legal to fly to that airport. Mm-hmm. Well, and you might remember a press release they put out uh, a couple of months ago now, I think, that uh, from a certain production number on, they were going to be uh, delivering the airplanes with a pair of Garmin 400, uh, the the right. the, uh, the WASP version. Right. And that yeah, was not that even is moving maps. Yeah, no, 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 it was, it was, it is a moving map, but it's it's um, it's not GPS. It's based on the 430. It's based on the 430, but it's not the 430. It's a subset of the 430. Right. It's just the GPS part. Oh, is it just just the GPS and not? Okay. Maybe that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the punchline in all that is that they still haven't sorted out the panels. 
the, these airplanes, although they are flying and they are operating, and they're apparently doing it safely, um, although I've heard a couple of things about that too, but uh, they're not fully integrated. The panels are not fully integrated, and they've got some problems. Mm-hmm. And then there's the situation with, so we see from, as they say, it's taking longer to build them. Uh, they can't build as, as, as them as, as fast, and they have to raise the price for that. But also on the on the end of who's waiting to buy them, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about Dayjet and that situation. So if that market turns out to not be as robust as the air taxi advocates had been preaching, that's going to be a problem also in terms of the of you know the buyer's volume. Yeah, but well, that's oh, yeah. that's true. Um, and well, of course, Day, Dayjet is. Jeb, go ahead. Dayjet announced they were going to, to delay some of their deliveries because they were still raising capital. They're, they're going to postpone That's some right. of their deliveries. They're going to cut back on some of their expansion plans. And, and they're going to lay off some people. Back some, yeah, they got rid of some people and they kind of, and they lightened their fleet. They leased yeah. out or sold some of their airplanes. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. That's right. right. Uh, moving on. Um, Wait, one more thing though. All right, go ahead. Set, one all more? that said, I was there at the rollout of the of the concept jet, and looking at them side by side, is like I would much rather have that single than the twin. That seemed really? much more like, and it, with with the going up to, I think it's got a forty one thousand foot service. Thing, I mean, that's something, you know that. It is a cool looking side by side. That could actually be a much more desirable product as the personal jet uh, market expands. Yeah. Well, they say they've got a hundred orders for it already. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's attractive. Uh, it's small. Uh, it's uh, you know certainly a less uh, roomy airplane than the five hundred, but uh, you know it's a single. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Personally, I've got to go back with what Jeb said. Uh, be nice to see him get their their panel squared away and and, and all that equipment's working like promised. Yeah, they, uh, they need to fix the twin before they start working on yeah. another airplane. Mm. Jeb, final thoughts mm. on this subject? Uh, no, I, just that um, all of this is not to say that we don't wish Eclipse well. Oh, that well, that we we are no, not, not at all. Uh, pulling for not only the aircraft type. But the Dayjet business model and other business models like Dayjets. Um, nice. But we're, we're just pointing out that they are on a rocky uh, path right now. Uh, we're, we're optimistic that they'll get through this, um, and we'll keep keep uh, uh, reporting on it as it happens. Yeah. Yep. And yep. keep Definitely. our fingers crossed. That's right. Yeah. James, um, last time you were on the podcast, you had submitted a couple of story ideas to the list, and we didn't get to all of them. Uh, and I keep going back, and one of them has been particularly intriguing to me. I wanted to follow up on this. You wrote, oh, sure. you wrote, Kermit Weeks had interesting conversation with friend of a friend recently. Do you remember what you were what you were thinking about there? Uh, with friend, well, I my converse, I had a conversation with Kermit. Oh, a friend of a friend. It's about fantasy of flight. Uh huh. Oh, oh. F-O-F is fantasy. Ah. Oh, 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 I thought it was friend of a friend. Okay, so an interesting I did, conversation. I did too. Not, uh. All right. Well, what, what was so going the, on there? Tell us about it. Well, I went down there uh, with, with Jim Lawrence, the photographer, to kind of get a look at the facility there. And, you know, everybody's heard and uh, knows who Kermit is. He's kind of a, an unmistakable figure and larger than life. But beyond just the superficial uh, things about him, I really didn't know very much other than 
the you know that he obviously had a huge airplane collection. So in talking to him though, there I hadn't realized I'd heard some things, but this whole metaphysical side of him. And among the interesting things he had to say is that he really doesn't care about airplanes that much as airplanes. Uh-huh. It's not like I love this machine. He is interested in airplanes as a, a metaphor uh, to try to get non-people that are not interested in, in airplanes to kind of see themselves in sort of as a self-actualization tool. And... Uh, I think so. He has these grand plans for what he wants to do there. It's like he is. It's like oh, I have gained enlightenment. Now I see it's not supposed to be this one park. It's going to be three, and it's going to be the past and the present and the future, and it's going to be beyond Disney World. So he has these uh, incredible plans that he is hoping to move forward with and he really again what was the interesting one of the most interesting aspects was that the airplanes to him are you know he's not interested in appealing to people that like airplanes he wants the people that don't like them to come and he's trying to figure out how to get them there yeah well that's a great well, it's a great it's a, mission. it's a great it's a great it's a great place to learn about aviation and 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 get a look at the scope of it for years in the past and, and a little bit about how it's used today. And he's done a grand job with it so far. We we wish him the best. Now, where is yes. that? Tell us where Fantasy of Flight is located. Well, it is between Orlando and Tampa. Uh, so he calls it Orlampa. <laughs> and uh, he's got 200 acres that the facility is on, but he's also bought an additional 2,000 acres on which he wants to expand. And again, he wants to make it as something like you're saying, when, when they go through my future exhibit, I don't want them kind of to have this sort of adrenaline high and say, I want to go and do that again. I want him to sit down and say, oh, my God, I never thought of my life that way. I'm going to change the way I live and sort of <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know, actualize myself. And, right. and he's quite unabashed about talking about him taking trips on the astral plane and and you know his ability to kind of visit places that he doesn't physically go to and uh you know the story of kind of how he came into his wealth is interesting as well and you know but before he was wealthy he was an aerobatic pilot and he built and won a u.s grand national unlimited competition in in a plane he won that in a plane he built and he won a gold medal in international competition. So he's always been driven by aviation. And, and you know, you see some people that have money and they don't really know what to do with it. He's uh, used it in the right kind of way. Yeah. Interesting. Well, to put a little meat on the, on the location bones, you can find it. It's on Interstate 4, uh, as James said, between uh, Tampa and Orlando. But it's east of uh, the Lakeland area, uh, getting pretty close to... Uh, Winter Haven and an area of the exit, I believe, says Polk City, right on Interstate 4. So if you're in Orlando, you head west, and uh, it'll be on your right when you get into Polk County. Uh, Big signs there showing you the way. You can find it on the website. Uh, They've got a really great attraction there, a good way to spend the day if you want to get away from more (coughs) Mickey Mouse concerns in Orlando. (laughs) Uh, They have daily flights often. Uh, Kermit himself will fly them, so uh, a lot they have uh, 
the displays are very interactive, and even now he's bringing in these experiential elements. So it's not just walking by and looking at them, but kind of sets up these situations where you are kind of immersed in the whole experience. Sounds cool. Sounds got cool. Got a nice restaurant there and everything. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Sounds cool. Gonna have to check it out one of these days. Moving on, we've got a uh, story here from Business Week magazine. Um, read the first paragraph. It says, Key airplane parts of sketchy origin are being sold in a thriving online market by vendors, by vendors that aren't on the Federal Aviation Administration's list of approved suppliers, according to a new study by Mark Monitor. Now, this particular story seems to be talking... This is even more astounding, actually. Apparently, they're talking about, about spare parts for, like, Boeing and Airbus airliners. I just have a hard time imagining wow. you go under Craigslist <laughs> to buy something for your 4-7. But... Um, and, and I don't know whether... The, here's my question. For example, Jeb, I know you're a big Craigslist guy um, for your motorcycles and motorcycle parts. Sure. Have you ever or been tempted or actually bought an airplane part on Craigslist? I have never seen an airplane part advertised on Craigslist. Um, but let's let's back up a step or two here. First of all, there's a, a vast difference between parts sourced for an aircraft used in commercial operations versus one used for private uh, flight like mine. Um, as long in, in, in Part 91 operations, as long as the operator and the mechanic signing it off agree that the part is airworthy, you can install it. You can install parts that you fabricate yourself, owner-produced parts, and it is completely legal. You don't have to have the kind of paper trail for a Part 91 aircraft that you do for a commercial aircraft. A, a Part 121 uh, airplane or um, something else. So, would that apply to a Part 25 airplane that was used strictly under 91 ops? That I don't know. I think the quick answer is um, it will... Uh, it will apply, especially if the, that you want to put that Part 25 airplane into on the market and a commercial vendor would want to buy it down the road. There's got to be that paper trail of where that, that part came from. Um, but for Part 91, I mean, um, I, had a, I had, you know, for example, I had a fairing that just was cracked uh, um, in, in several places. It's uh, uh, a dorsal fairing. It was the original Royal Light plastic from 1966, and um, Beach um, could not supply one. They this was back in er, much earlier in the decade, and um, said you know basically said it'll be you know four or five months before we can give you a delivery date. Okay, mm. kind of thing. Not not four or we five months. We didn't even know before. we were going to build yeah. another one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And and it just so happens that my my airframe serial number, the particular part is just an odd one. Um, serial numbers, you know, say twenty five in either direction, um, were a different were the were a different part and a much more common part. But my particular serial number was was very odd. So you know, I'm kind of like, well, okay, what am I going to do? I'm not going to ground the airplane over. Uh, over this little part, mm -hmm. I got to, got to looking around, and uh, came across a a parts vendor, PMA manufacturer, uh, actually, 
um, out in Idaho called, uh, I think it's Steen Aviation, S-T-E-N-E. And they manufacture a lot of PMA parts for Cessnas and Pipers and a couple for Beechcraft, um, but um, they're all made out of fiberglass. And they have, you know, they know what they're doing. So I called the guy and said, look, you know, you're all interested in making this part. And he says, um, says, you know, we're not interested in, in making it, stocking it, and, and uh, selling it to the public. We'll make you one if you send us your old one. Hmm. So I sent him my old one and uh, waited about two <laughs> weeks. And this box arrived. No, just... <laughs> and, well, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I opened the box, and it's my old part and my new part. And it's it's perfect. Down to the last detail, not only on, on, the, on this particular fairing, um, there's a, a two angled metal strips, one on each side of the airplane, um, that uh, to, to which are that is riveted to the fairing. Those metal strips then are used to at- to attach the bottom of the fairing to the upper part of the of the airframe. And um, he had he had taken those strips off the old part and riveted them perfectly to the new part. Um, he had matched the holes. He drilled new holes in the new part that perfectly matched the old part. All I had to do, I didn't even have to paint it because it happened to be almost the same color hmm. as, the, as the paint on the airplane. Hmm. And I just dropped it in, screwed it in, uh, had my mechanic sign it off, and we went flying. Mm-hmm. And that you was know how that works, right? It's, a, it's an owner-produced part. Well, and it counts as a repair. Exactly. Because they incorporated items from the original part. Exactly. It right. counts as a repaired item. Uh, in the uh, in, in other uh, orphan airplane lines, well, we're uh, a little, I see product. I see yeah. products advertised where they can produce something for you. Mm-hmm. You send them the old one, uh, so that they can cannibalize a piece and produce the new one uh, as a repaired part. Right. Because of the yeah. incorporation of the original piece, and they send it back to you. Your mechanic looks at it, sees that it fits, signs the logbook, and goes back in uh, without having to have a PMA. That's it's right. done on a regular basis, and I'm really glad that nobody at, uh, at, at our friendly aviation agency uh, seems to take issue with this. Well, and, and here's a convenient, here's, safe, legal way for us to get parts right. that we couldn't otherwise. Mm. Going back to this Business Week article, though, here's, they're talking about uh, all of these parts um, uh, for Boeing and Airbus airliners are appearing on Craigslist and, and Alibaba.com and, and uh, some <laughs> other websites. Uh, Alibaba.com. Anyway, um, here's the, the phrase in here is, many of them are not properly inspected by the FAA. Well, you know, guys, get a clue here. The FAA doesn't the FAA inspect, doesn't inspect at them. all. <laughs> they, they, issue, you know, they inspect the process. Uh, they certificate the manufacturers in some instances, um, but the the installer inspects the parts and determines their sure. airworthiness, not the FAA. And what what's more, even more curious about this is nowhere in this article do I see the the word eBay. Okay, mm. which is it's like you know the international aircraft uh, parts resource. Oh, really? Uh, you can go on eBay right now, and there's probably you know twenty, thirty thousand airplane parts, aircraft parts on on eBay. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are perfectly usable on an airplane. Some, Some of, of them, them are, are old airplanes. Close. 
Some of them have never been installed yeah. on an airplane. Some of them are whole airplanes. Some <laughs> of them are whole airplanes. <laughs> exactly right. So, so <laughs> some of these, yeah, some of these are flying close formations of parts, commonly known as airplanes. Um, I, I, the whole story is just completely bogus. And it's, uh, it's, you know, this is this aviation has. When you get into when you get into topics like this. There is so much more complexity and nuance to what you need to know than the general assignment reporter is ever going to get or the business specialty desk reporter is ever going to get unless they're doing aviation full-time all the time. And even then, it can take you years to make mistakes on all the right topics, so you're really up to speed unless somebody does what some really good uh, old hands at aviation did for me and was mentor me, take me around, introduce me to the people that could always answer the questions I needed anytime I needed them and start to explain to me little nuances and things. I couldn't believe, for example, at one point I wouldn't have been able to believe that an airliner could fly a, a, a trip across the Atlantic without being an airline flight because... Right. As much as I knew about uh, aviation, uh, which wasn't a whole hell of a lot by comparison to today, uh, I didn't understand the, the difference between 91 operations, 135, and 121. And, gee, well, you know, we're able to do things in the airplane and, and, and flying conditions that an airline's uh, uh, operation specifications might prohibit. Because we weren't flying a revenue flight, we were flying a Part 91 flight. We were ferrying a, a, a four-engine turboprop airline airliner across the North Atlantic to the Paris Air Show. We were a private flight, just like any other private flight anywhere else. It was so cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, that's well, interesting. And, and, so, and the, you know, yeah. the converse is true, though, also. Uh, I remember uh, a story a buddy of mine told me about a friend of his who happened to be a captain uh, flying the 747 for, shall we say, a major airline. And the captain for this major airline um, showed up one day to fly the, the 747 from JFK to Tokyo. And he's going through the paperwork, and he'd, he'd been on vacation for, you know, a, a while, maybe been at school or in this kind of thing, and da-da-da-da-da. And they got the check and paperwork and logbooks and all this kind of thing, and the captain only had one landing in the 747 in the, in the last night, or one landing in a, in a multi-engine turbine aircraft in the last uh, uh, 90 days. So uh -huh. they had to go get in the airplane, put a crew in the airplane, push back, <laughs> Taxi out, go do two touch and goes, come back and land, pull back up to the gate and load passengers before they could leave. <laughs> I thought I was the only one who had to do that. Don't you, don't you love it? Don't you love it? That's great. Hey, listen, That's we're expensive uh, currency. Yes, indeed. Uh, we got. I'm going to flip over all the cards here because uh, we got to wrap this thing up. But uh, anybody got any shout outs before we finish up? I have uh, one. Say yes. Okay. Say uh, no. Yes. Yes. Nah. Go ahead. Who's got one? Uh, uh, let me uh, shout out to all the, uh, the the folks. There's not a whole lot of them up at uh, Found Aircraft in Perry Sound, Canada, who I was visiting recently. Uh, really a hospitable bunch. And to Tom Benenson, who uh, showed me some hospitality when I dropped by Columbia County there. And Jim Lawrence, who put me up for a couple of nights passing 
uh, back and forth while we were on our way up to Canada. Sounds oh, good. good. Sounds Very good. cool. Yeah. Anybody, anything else? Not, not well, my last, my only thing would be to encourage people. We got pretty decent weather when you're not under a tornado threat. Uh, you know, it's that time of year to uh, get out and, and, and put a little air under the rubber and, you know, find a fly-in, you know, meet some friends, uh, do a poker run. Uh, go have some pancakes. Exercise that ticket. There you go. That's right. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, let's see now. James Winbrandt uh, is, of course, an author, an aviation journalist, and a musician, and a budding DC-3 pilot. And you, know, you, can, you, you can learn more about his work by Googling his name or searching for him on Amazon. Thanks for being with us, James. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. Always love being in the hangar. That's right. Same here, James. Thanks. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist, currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation... Avi- yeah, it's easy for me to say. Easy for you to say. Aviation yeah. Safety <laughs> Magazine. And you can learn more about his work at jebburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, or avwhip.com. Thanks, Jeb. How you do? Is it raining yet? Uh, I, I can't tell from inside the house, and it got dark here while we've been talking, so uh. I'll have to go outside and check. I think I left the bike out, too. That's not good. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh-oh. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, or aea.net, and one of these days, davehigdon.com. Uh, did the sun come out yet, Dave? Uh, it nope. come out it's tomorrow. And power hadn't come on yet either. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll Dave, the sun will come out tomorrow. Don't worry. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll be back with you next week, Dave, as, uh, as, uh, with, the, with the powers back on. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, learn more about me and my work at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And of course, you can visit us all and check out the uh, uncontrolled.com website. Uh, the forums there are particularly fun. So, uh, we'd love to have you visit us there. So that's it for another episode. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here in the virtual hangar. And that's enough talk. Let's go flying. Flying.